Amen. You can be seated. It has been a beautiful week, and uh, I have enjoyed it thoroughly because I finally got a Minnesota plate for my motorcycle. <laughs> and I rode it in this morning. You can see it out there. It's a blue triumph. So just enjoying the, uh, the weather on, on that. Um, I want to talk a moment about baptism before I launch into, into this. We're doing baptisms, as Doug said, at our church picnic. If you, if you have not, if you've given your life to Christ and you have not demonstrated that publicly through baptism, uh, I would strongly encourage you to sign up. If you uh, don't remember being baptized, um, I strongly encourage you to sign up. Um, I actually, as an infant, was christened in the Catholic Church. My father was a Catholic. But when I uh, came to know Jesus and gave my life to him, um, I was baptized by immersion. And for me, that was, a, that was like my new birthday. It was a day in which I just drew a line in the sand and I said, I am forever yours. So um, if you have not done that, um, I strongly encourage you to sign up. It's out in the lobby. Um, you can sign up to be baptized. All right, so this is our last message in the Breakthrough Series. Uh, as I've said, next week we'll be launching a new series on the book of Galatians called Galatians Free at Last. And today uh, we're concluding this series with Breakthrough of Healing. I want to start out by showing you guys uh, a video, a testimony from a lovely couple we have in our church uh, I'm sure many of you know, Brian and Joanne Heideman. Uh, they have a cool story of how God brought a healing to Joanne, and I want you to take a look at that. Let's look. I'm Brian Heideman, and this is my wife, lovely wife, Joanne. We've been coming to this church for 30 plus years. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. How long have you been married? And we've been married for 43 years. Come June 24th. And how many kids do you have? We've got four active <laughs> adult children right now. <laughs> and five grandkids. Can you share your story? Back in May 18th of 2020, actually let's go back a little further than that. We'll go back to January of 2017 when they diagnosed Joanne with cancer and found out she had congestive heart failure as well. And uh, she got put on medication that was did well for her for a number of years. But back in May of 18th of 2020, she got really sick and I took her to the hospital. They suspected COVID and tested her for it twice in Fergus, rushed her to Fargo where they also tested her for it. And I told them that she had pneumonia because that's what it was. <laughs> and uh, I could tell by the way it sounded in her because she'd had it before. 
and she was up there for a couple of days before I was able to go up and be with her. But they also found another infection on top of the pneumonia that she had, which was very bad and holding her down and keeping her from getting better. She was up there for five weeks. She was up there for five weeks, but she was there for about two, three weeks, and I was going up every day to be with her. And I'd pray most of my way up and pray most of my way back in the evenings. Uh, a lot of times there was a lot of tears. I don't think I've cried so much in my entire life as I did during that time she was in the hospital. Yeah. Uh, on her final week of being in the one Sanford hospital, her doctor, her, the last doctor she had in that particular hospital called me while I was on the way up to the hospital and said, you might want to hurry up and get up here because Joanne seems to be fading away. They had uh, had her on dialysis because her kidneys had stopped working. Her liver wasn't functioning properly. But one morning when the doctor called me and said that she's not, we don't think she's gonna make it much longer. I just, I made two calls. I called the pastor and I called our son. And uh, I prayed the rest of the way up there. I got up there, they let me in early, which they never would do. And I went up to her room and they said, she's not doing good. Her heart just seems to be giving up. And they basically left us alone. Joanne was totally out of it at the time. She was sleeping. I sat down next to her and leaned on her bed and was holding her hand and crying and praying. I knew there was nobody else in the room, but all of a sudden it felt like there was a hundred people around. And I actually felt something tap me on the shoulder. Like somebody had put their hand on my shoulder and I opened my eyes and I looked around and Nobody there, but I could still feel the presence that somebody was there or something was there. And I just closed my eyes and started praying some more. Didn't know what else to do, just kept hanging on to her. Pretty soon she came out of it and started talking, woke up and started talking to me again. And things went back and forth. She'd get better, she'd get worse, she'd get better should get worse. Finally, uh, they turned around and they said, well, we're going to send her over to the cardiac hospital after we put a feeding tube in her stomach so that if she does go home, she's you got a way to keep food in her because at that point she could no longer eat or drink anything by mouth. It just wouldn't stay down. Even on the way home, she couldn't eat or drink anything by mouth. It wouldn't stay down. Once we got home, it wouldn't stay down. So that feeding tube was a godsend. But when they transferred her over to the cardiac hospital, she's seen one cardiologist right away, I think. 
and he ordered some testing done. Uh, come back later that evening and he says, it doesn't look like we can do anything for her because her heart is that weak. I looked at him and I says, okay, can we? What, what's the next step? He says, well, the rest of the team will look at things and get back to you. The next evening, uh, a cardiologist stepped his foot in the door and he says, Mr. Heideman, you want to come out here? I walked out to the hall and there was six or seven of them out there. And they were talking about Joanne, what was going on with her. We can't do anything to help her, they said. There's nothing more that can be done. I says, okay, can you help her get her blood pressure under control so that I can take her home so she can say goodbye to the rest of the family? And I went back in the room and talked to Joanne and I told her that the doctor said that she was not going to make it. She looks at me and she says, I get to see Eric again. And mom and dad, she was ready to go. And the next morning I went up to the hospital to pick her up, to take her home, bring her home. And I brought her home. And the family showed up at the house to say goodbye. They thought they were saying goodbye because they thought she was gone. But God and Joanne had a better plan. <laughs> and she started getting better and better and better. And we're just thanking God for all the people that showed up to pray for us help us with things that needed to be taken care of around the house. Joanne, do you have anything you want to share? Huh? Do you have anything you want to share? I've been talking too much. She wants to hear from you. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Uh, thank everybody for praying for me. We know it was the prayers that did it. Uh -huh. Because they only sent her home with three three meds. She had three pills she was taking when she came home. And the doctors had basically gave up. We had people stopping by to say goodbye because they thought she was going to be gone. Uh. And they prayed and prayed and prayed. And then Joanne turns around and turns the table <laughs> so I went yesterday to, to the Heidemann's home to get an update on where they're at. And uh, even though Joanne absolutely received a healing last year, 
Uh, unfortunately, she's potentially dealing with some of that coming back, so they'll be getting confirmation here soon. I prayed for them before I left the house, but I want us to continue to lift them up in prayer because prayer absolutely does make a difference. So, so we're talking about healing today, and we're going to look at the healing ministry of Jesus and see if there's something that we can learn on how we too can pray for people to be healed. So our key scripture this morning, uh, Doug already read, but I want to read it again. Jesus says in John 14, 12, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. God still moves powerfully and he still heals today. And he can use any of us to do it, right? So like I said, in uh, a few weeks ago in my message on uh, breakthrough of the kingdom, we live in between the times, um, which means we, we sometimes see the evidence of the inbreaking of the kingdom of God, and we see God heal people when we pray. And unfortunately, there are other times when we pray and uh, we don't see healing. Certainly, if they come to faith in Christ, they will experience the ultimate healing at the resurrection. But sometimes we don't get to see that healing, this side of heaven. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to pray for people to be healed. So why? Why are we called to pray for healing? Why is this such a big deal? I think most of us would agree that um, we're trying to, as followers of Jesus Christ, we're trying to model our lives after the life of Jesus. We're trying to become more like Jesus, right? So nearly a fifth of the Gospels uh, is devoted to Jesus' healing ministry. There are 41 distinct instances of healing recorded in the Gospels. So there's that. And there's the fact that Jesus said that whoever believes in him would do the same things, even greater things, because he is going to be with the Father. So why am I ending this series on a message on learning how to pray for people to be healed? It is because I envision a day coming when if you attend Life Church, you would be filled with the Holy Spirit, you would be empowered to advance the kingdom of God wherever you find yourself, okay? That's showing love and grace to people, but it's also ministering in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Walking in your full authority as a spirit-filled follower of Jesus and taking ground from the enemy. That includes praying for healing, it includes praying against the demonic, it includes taking back that from the enemy which he seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. I envision small groups meeting throughout the community, praying in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. People in their workplaces who are praying in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. People in the marketplace who are praying in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. You run into someone at the store, right? Uh, you say, how are you? They happen to tell you, you know, that, that uh, it's not so good, and you pray for them right there on the spot, right? It doesn't have to be all weird. It doesn't have to be all charismania, right? You can be naturally supernatural and pray for them right there in the middle of Walmart, 
okay? God still heals today. Our calling, our responsibility is to pray for people to be healed. And we want to be faithful and pray for people that we see who have a need. All right, so let's talk about how Jesus did it. Because I think we can learn some things. So I would say the basis of Jesus' healing ministry, like the foundation of it, was his relationship with the Father. The key was how Jesus modeled intimacy with the Father. Okay? So Jesus was God who became man. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus did nothing on his own. Right? John 5, 19. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. The Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him everything he is doing. So Jesus always sought to honor his Father. He sought to please his Father. Jesus was one with the Father. John 10.30, Jesus says, the Father and I are one. John 10, verses 37 and 38 Jesus says, don't believe me unless I carry out my Father's work. But if I do his work, believe in the evidence of the miraculous works I have done, even if you don't believe me. Then you will know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. So we too are called by Christ into a ministry of the miraculous, flowing out of intimacy with him. John 14, 10 through 12. says, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. Intimacy with the Father. Okay? So what else can we learn from Jesus' healing ministry? First, even Jesus was dependent on the Holy Spirit. Okay? Jesus began healing after his baptism and after his anointing by the Holy Spirit. I've always found that fascinating. Even Jesus was dependent on the Holy Spirit. Second, uh, here's something we can learn. Uh, Jesus seemed to have healed at all times, but he flowed with the Holy Spirit, right? As he flowed with the Holy Spirit, he was aware of times when the Spirit was especially ready to move in power, right? Being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. So this is uh, Luke 5, verse 17. It says, one day while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. And the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. I find it fascinating that even Jesus was sensitive to and dependent on the Holy Spirit. Okay, another thing we can learn from the healing ministry of Jesus is that he always moved in mercy and compassion. 
Matthew 9.36 says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus repeatedly demonstrated a tremendous compassion for the sick. Jesus also grieved at people's resistance to his compassion for the sick, right? That made him mad, made him sad. He had a willingness to heal whoever came to him with any kind of affliction, whether it was physical or emotional or mental or even demonic. Another thing we can learn um, it's, is that it seems as if faith uh, was a factor in Jesus' praying for healing. There were a lot of times when Jesus was moved by great faith. He even seemed more able to heal in the presence of great faith. So in um, Matthew 9, verses 28 through 31, it says, they went right into the house where he was staying and Jesus asked them, do you believe I can make you see? Yes, Lord, they told him, we do. Then he touched their eyes and said, because of your faith, it will happen. And their eyes were opened and they could see. Jesus sternly warned them, don't tell anyone about this, but instead they went out and spread his fame all over the region. I find this fascinating. Jesus also appeared to be limited by a lack of faith, unbelief. We see this in Mark 6, verses 1 through 6. It says, Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? Then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. And Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Fascinating. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, even he um, seemed to uh, be limited by their unbelief. Jesus also wouldn't do miracles uh, for those who just wanted to test him. They just wanted to be entertained, right? So those are some of the fundamental principles we learn. Um, Jesus also used several different patterns and methods in uh, praying for people to be healed. Sometimes he touched the sick person. Sometimes he commanded the sickness. In one case, he used uh, spit and mud, right? Remember that story? Like, I always think that's funny. That's like not a part of most healing ministries. You don't see people grabbing a pile of dirt, spitting on it, and put it on somebody's face, you know. Um, sometimes he required an act of faith. So Luke 6.10, he looked around at them one by one and then said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. Sometimes Jesus healed in public, like he often healed in public, but sometimes he, uh, he healed in private. 
right? He healed both Jairus' daughter and the blind man from Bethany in private. Um, here's, an, here's another interesting fact, right? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, um, he, he didn't hesitate to ask questions before he prayed for people to be healed, right? Sometimes we, we're kind of afraid to ask uh, for more details before we pray. Jesus himself would ask questions, right? Sometimes he knew and sometimes he didn't. Before he healed the two blind men outside of Jericho, he said, what do you want me to do for you? The woman with the issue of blood who was healed when she touched his robe, um, he said, who touched my robe? The child with an evil spirit, Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has this been happening? And then the dad says, since he was a little boy, the spirit often throws him into the fire or into water trying to kill him. Blind Bartimaeus, Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus, and then uh, Bartimaeus says, Rabbi, I want to see. And then Jesus says, go, for your faith has healed you. He didn't necessarily equate sin with sickness, right? That was the prevailing thought at the time. If you were sick, you must have done something wrong. Um, he didn't necessarily equate those two things. Sometimes he, he referred to the connection. Sometimes uh, it, the sole purpose was to glorify God, right, through the healing. There was the man born blind. There was the pool of Bethesda healing. Neither of those uh, was because of that, that person's sickness or their, their sin. Sometimes Jesus prayed more than once for people to be healed. I find that absolutely fascinating. Again, this is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And even he sometimes prayed several times for people to be healed. Um, in some cases, he indicated that some afflictions wouldn't leave immediately, but longer prayer and fasting would be required. There's the, the blind man of uh, Bethesda. There's the epileptic boy. Both of those examples uh, of repeated praying. Also, here's a big thing. Jesus didn't go around doing all the healing himself. He modeled what he wanted the disciples to learn about the healing ministry. He helped them in ministering to the sick, and then he sent them off to do it on their own, right? Sometimes they got it right. Sometimes they messed up. They'd come back for more instruction. Um, they're like, how come we couldn't cast out that demon, and then Jesus would say something like, oh, well, that, that kind only comes out with prayer and fasting. And they're like, oh, okay, right? Um, he eventually released them to then start training others. Okay, so given what I've told you so far, um, how do we specifically go about praying for people to be healed? How do we even start? So here's what I was taught about 20 years ago on how to do this, and it's what uh, I've been teaching others ever since. So again, the, thing, the big things that we learn from looking at Jesus' healing ministry is the very foundation of it is, was intimacy with the Father, dependency on the Holy Spirit, he moved in mercy and compassion, willing to pray for anybody who was in need. Having faith that God can still heal today, 
being willing to ask questions, being willing to pray more than once. All of those are things we learn from how Jesus prayed for people to be healed. So in terms of the nuts and bolts, like uh, I wanna just sort of give you a framework, sort of like five steps uh, you can follow when you are praying for people to be healed. This isn't like a magic formula or anything, but just a simple way to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit um, and pray for people to be healed. Okay, so number one, and this, these are in your, in your notes in the, in the bulletin there. Number one, how can I pray for you? You, would, you might call this the interview. How can I pray for you? Okay, where does it hurt? That kind of thing. So as you ask this question, it's almost like you have two antenna up, right? One in the natural, one in the supernatural, right? You're listening to what they say, but you're also saying, Holy Spirit, what do you want to show me? Okay? Uh, and he may give you some insight. He may give you a word of knowledge. He may give you a, a word of wisdom. He might give you um, a scripture, you know, that might bring some illumination to it, some direction on how to pray. Now, this isn't a medical interview, right, or anything like that. You don't need to know the whole back history. You don't need to know all the details. Even if you are a medical professional, they're coming to you to ask for prayer, not advice, okay? Uh, one of my, like, key leaders in, in leading, like, a class in ministry and teaching this stuff, uh, good friend of mine, she was a nurse practitioner, very easily could slip into dispensing advice, but she, you know, she taught herself, you know, and taught the teams of people, people do not come for advice, they're coming for prayer, okay? And don't pray in the form of advice. Lord, just let them remember to take their meds, right? I've seen that. Don't do that. Okay? They came for prayer, not advice. Okay, so number one was how can I pray for you? It's sort of like the, the interview. Number two, like step two, is what caused this? It's sort of like the diagnostic decision. Like what, what is the source of this? It could be caused by natural factors from living in a, in a fallen world. Could be the result of sin, right? Like being with someone outside of marriage can have a whole host of consequences, right? Sometimes the cause can be emotional, like uh, unforgiveness. Sometimes these emotional things can manifest themselves in the physical realm. Like, for instance, we prayed for a lady one time um, who was who was all hunched over, and after. Uh, we led her to forgive someone that she hadn't forgiven in decades. Um, she literally stood straight up. Sometimes it can be family traits, um, you know, poor heart, diabetes, that kind of thing. Um, sometimes it can be spiritual factors, like uh, something demonic. The demonic, too, can manifest itself in the physical realm, like in terms of fear and anxiety and physical ailments and, and such. 
Now, just to be clear, uh, be, just because someone has such ailments and feelings doesn't necessarily mean there's something demonic behind it, right? We don't want to be one of these churches that just sees a devil behind every bush kind of thing. That's where the gift of discernment is absolutely important, okay? But if you do sense or you think it might be something demonic, like don't go praying alone. Go grab some other prayer warrior type people. If you see a pastor, grab one of us, right? That is really important. All right, so number one is how can I pray for you? It's the interview. Number two is what caused this? the diagnostic decision. Number three is decide how you will pray and then pray. It's like the prayer selection, okay? So sometimes we pray a prayer directly to God for that person. This is called intercessory prayer, right? I'm going to stand in the gap and pray to God for this person, intercessory prayer. Uh, we might ask for more of the Holy Spirit's presence. We might ask for the Holy Spirit to heal this person. We might um, pray blessings and protection over this person. Sometimes the prayer we pray, though, is from God, like a commandment or a pronouncement of faith. Like, in the name of Jesus, I speak to the cancer and the infirmity that is in your precious daughter's body, be gone. Or maybe it's a rebuke to the demonic. Like, in the name of Jesus, I bind and cast you out, Satan. I send you where Jesus sends you never to return. You see why I held off on this message till the end? <laughs> you have to kind of like get to know me a little bit. <laughs> uh, but the more you do this, and the more you pray with other prayer warriors... Uh, the more discerning you will become in knowing how to pray for people. It sort of reminds me uh, of when I was in college studying voice, right? Those of you who are new, uh, before I was in ministry, I was an opera singer, so all my education was in that. So uh, we would have a studio class every week. You, know, you had your, less, your private lesson, but then you'd have studio class, and in studio class, like everybody would take a turn singing, and then everybody else would like give you know, encouragement or constructive feedback, that kind of thing. And that's how we learned and that's how we grew. Same thing uh, in my experience being on a, on a preaching team. So in my last church, we had actually a preaching team and each week we would meet and try to help each uh, one another grow and learn, right? So prayer is like that. We learn by doing. And we help one another, we learn from one another, we try, we make mistakes, we learn from it, we keep growing and doing. You cannot learn prayer outside of practice. Okay? Number four uh, is how are you doing? How are you doing? So as we're praying, we are praying for their healing and we are looking for possible indicators of the Spirit's presence like spirit being at work. The only effect that we are looking for is healing. But sometimes there can be certain observable phenomena happening that accompany the spirit's presence, uh, the spirit's healing work, like warmth, tingling, 
muscle spasms, shaking, deep breathing, tears, stiffness in certain body parts, dizziness, perspiration. Right? I've, I've prayed uh, for people to be healed, and I've seen other, and you, you have your hand, you know, like on their shoulder or something, and like you feel the heat. I mean, like your hand is on fire, and the people are like, oh my gosh, like it's so hot, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, so a word of uh, advice, I know this can feel weird at first, um, but I would encourage you to pray with your eyes open um, so that you can see what's going on and you can cooperate with the Holy Spirit, right? You might be praying and your, your eyes are closed and you're totally in the zone and, and, the, and then they're just like waiting for you to be done. They're like, dude finish up. I'm hungry. I'm going to, you know, I want to go to lunch, <laughs> you know, or, or so it's just, it's just good to see. And, to, and I know it can be weird if you're just so used to like praying with your eyes closed kind of thing, but it is, it is good to be able to see what and respond to, be sensitive to what Holy Spirit is doing. When in doubt, ask questions. A healing may have taken place without any visible uh, signs. Something that might be preventing the healing, we'll talk about this, something, something that might be preventing the healing um, might be on our side, like the person doing the praying, the ministering. Like, uh, for instance, I found it harder to pray for people when I am not prayed up myself, right? So like if I've gone, you know, weeks without having any time with the Lord and then I go to like pray for somebody to be healed, uh, it just, it's really hard. As opposed to having a rich life with the Lord, uh, regular time with him, and then it's definitely much easier to pray for people. Or if I don't have a good attitude, right? I had a rough day kind of thing. I come in, I'm just all like cynical, that kind of thing. It can, it can be hard to pray for people. Um, or if I have an unrepentant sin in my life, so I'm not getting into like the whole legalism thing, but sometimes Holy Spirit will show us, hey, that thing, you need to stop doing that. Um, and then when we remove that, that flow uh, is definitely much, much easier. Or maybe there's somebody I need to forgive. Um, it's really hard to minister to people in prayer when you are holding on to this thing, this anger, this unforgiveness in your heart. Better to be clean before the Lord. He can use us uh, much more easily. There may be problems on the receiver's end uh, that may be blocking the healing. Some people aren't expecting to receive anything. Um, and some may be resisting to what the, the Spirit has, has begun doing. How do you know when to stop praying? Um, you can stop when healing is completed. Um, you can stop when you sense the Holy Spirit is done for now. Or you can stop when you don't know what else to do. Like practical. Like, amen. All right. So that was step four. Step five, I would call next steps. Next steps. Okay. If something happened... Um, gently explain to them, you know, 
what happened. Share any encouragement you might have, um, you know, that the, the Holy Spirit might have given you. Share it with them. If a sin issue came up, encourage them to follow through on what they need to stop doing and maybe set up some accountability in their life so they won't do it again. If a healing didn't happen or it was incomplete in some way, affirm them and encourage them to keep seeking healing prayer because God is willing to heal. Again, I'll say it again, don't give personal advice. They didn't ask for advice, they asked for prayer. It's like, how many times can I say that? Don't give advice. When, people, when someone comes up for prayer, pray for them. Don't give them advice. Now, if it's all over, you know, and you're talking, you're hanging out afterwards, and you have something to say, that's, that's a different thing. But don't do it while you're praying. Don't, this is even more important, especially in my heart, don't ever condemn a person for not receiving healing. Okay, I have met several people who've been wounded for decades. They won't step foot in a church because someone um, condemned them for not receiving a healing, like, like you just lacked faith, that kind of thing. Or you must have some hidden sin thing. And it's like, that is just insecurity. Like, that's just dumb. So I don't want us to go hurting anybody, okay? So let's not do that. And then if possible, follow up with them. See how they're doing and keep praying for them. Love is the kingdom message. The people we pray for must receive that message, right? One of the most loving things we can do for another person is to pray for them. Treat them with dignity not as objects or opportunities. I've met plenty of Christians who, who look at these things like notches on their belt and they walk around with a sense of pride. You know, I am the healer, you know, that kind of thing. It's like, no, you are here but by the grace of God as I, am I, right? So, so treat people with dignity and respect and love and, and be humble. Uh, emotions, from my perspective, need to be uh, genuine, no hype. We're not, again, you've heard me say this in the message on worship. It's the same thing when we're, when we're praying for people. Um, we just want to be genuine, real. Don't try to muster something up. Um, don't try to hype something up or manipulate, you know, um, genuineness. Tell it like it is. Don't pretend something's happening when it isn't, and don't minimize it when it is. Okay, so what about medicine? Medicine is a part of God's healing ministry. God definitely uses doctors and medicine to heal. If you think you are healed, go get it confirmed by a doctor. Um, that is a way cool testimony when your doctor confirms your healing. Like he's looking on the x-ray and he's like, uh, there was a tumor there, but now it's not anymore. It's like, like, that's a cool story. All right. Body ministry. Body ministry, like in terms of the body of Christ. So this is team ball. Okay. So if at all possible, pray as part of a team. 
Um, we, the body of Christ, have all the gifts, not I have all the gifts. So the gifts of the Spirit are the power tools of, the, of kingdom ministry, and uh, we want to learn to flow in them, right? At first, you may feel like a complete newbie, like this is all new to you. As I did 20 years ago when I first saw this stuff, I mean, I told you all, like, like I thought this stuff was like cult stuff. And then, like, first time God used me in praying for somebody to be healed, um, I was pretty sure like that person wasn't faking it and I knew I wasn't faking it. And so like I had to, it was like my head just like, I had a paradigm shift. I'm like, wow, this stuff is real. And it's just ironic that I go, I went from uh, the skeptic in the back of the room like this when I first heard this kind of teaching and I'm like, yeah, whatever. Like, you know, I've seen all those people on TV They've got these people, they throw them down and they got catchers and all, you know, to like, I've been teaching people how to do this stuff now for, you know, a long time. And what I love is seeing people who had no framework for it be used by the Holy Spirit. And then it's like, I mean, that just jazzes me. It's like, it's why it fuels me to keep doing what I'm doing. Uh, Remember my teaching on the situational gifts? Uh, the Holy Spirit can give any gift at any time to any person for whatever purpose he sees fit. Okay, so just because you've never experienced any of this before doesn't mean you never will. Sometimes when the gifts come, it can get a little messy. Just giving you a heads up. Doesn't always, but sometimes it can. Um, we were doing this one time was in a setting where we were teaching people how to do this, and, and this gal, um, you know, it was her first time being exposed to this stuff. She was a little hesitant at first, um, and then we just, we prayed for her to be filled with the Spirit, and I think we prayed for healing of some issue, and she started to, I had to learn, like, this word, travail, like, just weep, and I don't mean, like, in a small way. I mean, like, like loud, <clears throat> like, and she did it for like two hours. <laughs> so like, like I walk out the room and I go down the hallway, I go to the bathroom and I can still hear the travailing like in the bathroom kind of thing. And then, I mean, now that, that lady is just on fire for ministry, for the kingdom. I'm like, God did something, you know, and it was uncomfortable, it was weird, it was messy and you know, but I sensed in my spirit as I watched it, I'm like, this is from the Lord, you know. Uh, it can get messy, but the benefits are worth it. God's presence, healing, absolutely transforms lives. I mean, there's nothing in this world that compares to, to um, being filled with the spirit and being used by the spirit to extend the kingdom of God. Don't focus on anything other than listening to God and respecting uh, the individual. Again, don't get so wrapped up in the activity of prayer and not pay attention to how the person is doing in terms of like their physical comfort or maybe the noise level. Sometimes, you know, you have to be sensitive to the context. Like if something starts happening, you know, it's often wise 
to, to have a few people and take them off into a, a room to sort of preserve their dignity. I've seen settings where Holy Spirit falls on somebody and they're just really going, you know, it's like he's working on them, but it was in a big setting like this. And yes, God, God did an amazing work there, but then like you never saw them again because they were so embarrassed because everybody just saw something that uh, really embarrassed them. So we'll often kind of escort them, you know, off kind of thing and, and pray. Uh, now the perfect place to do this kind of prayer, this kind of ministry, is a small group. Uh, it's one of the reasons I love small groups. Uh, because we can practice doing this kind of Holy Spirit ministry with each other in small groups. Often prayer uh, in the first few weeks of a small group meeting um, will begin with just like taking prayer requests. Most of you are familiar with that kind of deal. But within a few weeks, we want to move towards um, doing this kind of prayer in small group. So I want to show you uh, what that looks like um, so you can kind of see it. I'm not going to like ask for volunteers or anything, but... Um, I'm going to take this seat here. I asked Douglas to move it up in front so I wouldn't have to go too far. And uh, when we're doing this kind of prayer, we will um, take turns sitting in what my wife fondly refers to as the hot seat. <laughs> right? So um, you get a sense of this. Like in your small group, you're like, you know, someone comes in and you just, you see it all over them. You're like, ooh, you, you've had a rough week, haven't you? And they're like, yeah, yeah, you know. And it's like, it's in those moments that a, a good leader, a leader who is sensitive to the Holy Spirit, ditches the agenda for the evening and says, would you mind if we pray for you right now? And, uh, oh, no, I'd love that. You know, we'll come over here and sit in this chair. And then uh, we'd like to come around you and, and pray for you. Are you okay with that? Yeah, that'd be awesome, you know. And so um, what we do is they're sitting here and, you know, you can ask them, you know, how, is there, how can we pray for you, right? The five steps, how can we pray for you? And they might share something or a couple things. And then you ask, um, are you okay if we put hands on you? Um, because prayer and laying on of hands is a legitimate biblical thing, right? So I always, as I'm training people on this, I always say the best places are like the shoulders and the arms. Sometimes the ladies will like to sit you know, on the floor next to the other ladies' legs kind of thing. Places that are off limits, here, here, right? Don't put your hands there, Okay. You know that song, head and shoulders, knees and toes, knees and toes? Those are all good, head and shoulders. Those are good places to lay hands. Not here, not here, okay? So we, uh, how can we pray for you? Um, we don't need you to tell the whole story, you know, go into all the details. Um, so we always encourage the person sitting there if you would, close your eyes. It's kind of weird. I've prayed for people like this and they, they don't close their eyes and like you're praying for them and they're like, 
I'm like, dude, close your eyes. I'm like, I can't. <laughs> so, so, so we start praying. And uh, let's see, I'll make sure. Oh, yeah. So we, if you, the person being prayed for, we encourage you, you know, just as a ex- physical expression that you're ready to receive whatever God has for you, would you just put your hands out like this? It's like, okay. And so they're sitting, like when you get prayer like this, all you do is just, you know, you do this. Okay. Now, the people who are around this person, um, what you don't want to do is go in a circle and pray, okay? That's not what we're trying to do. Uh, one person might pray specifically for the very thing they asked for. Then there might be a few minutes of silence where we're just trying to hear from the Lord. And then someone else might pray something. Uh, and then there might be some more silence. And then someone might go, I'm getting a word, I'm getting a picture. Uh, does this mean anything to you? And then they'll share something. And they'll, oh, yeah, I think that, that does. You know, well, let me pray about that. Or they might go, no, that doesn't mean anything to me. And then I might say, well, maybe it was just the pizza I had last night. You know, that's okay. And so, and so we pray. And not, you know, not everybody has to pray out loud. Um, and again, it's like, um, how do you know when to stop praying? You know, it's those things I told you. Um, this is one of the most loving things we can do for another person. Like to pray blessings over them. To pray protection over them and their family. Like to pray for them to be filled again with the Holy Spirit. To pray for them to experience God's love in a deeper, more intimate, more tangible way. There's so many things we can pray for a person, right? Um, It is my heart that um, this would become the norm, that we would minister to one another in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm telling you, it has nothing to do with our words. There are no magic words or anything. So uh, as I was a pastoral intern, uh, one of the things that I did was I sat in on this thing called prayer works, which was like this prayer team would meet for several weeks with a person and kind of pray through some issues and things. So I'm, so I'm sitting in, in that, I'm sitting in one of those with my pastor mentor, his name's Bob, and this lady tells us what she wants prayer for, and then we're all quiet, and she's sitting in the chair. And then Bob goes, come, Holy Spirit. That's, that's all he prays, come, Holy Spirit. And then we sit there. And we sit there. And I don't know, 10 minutes went by. And I'm starting to get antsy. I'm like, and I'm about to like say something. And then he goes, And so we wait about another five minutes. I mean, it's like 15 minutes of silence. And all of a sudden, she just breaks loose, like not just crying, but like snot going everywhere. I mean, it's like, and all this, all that Bob said was like, more Lord, more Lord. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> like we didn't say anything. It had nothing to do with man's power. It was just inviting Holy Spirit to minister to his precious daughter. And then we just got out of the way. 
Like that, that changed my perspective on like prayer is not saying the magic words. Prayer is living in dependence on him and trusting that he, he cares more about this person than I ever could. And so I just want to be sensitive to that and, and help facilitate that. So I'll be satisfied <laughs> when that stuff's happening all around the church, all throughout the community, and there is a, there is a fire of the Holy Spirit just rippling out from this church. Okay? Yeah, this is a longer sermon than I thought it would be. <laughs> Got to go out with a bang on this series. All right, so one of my goals this fall is to launch a bunch of small groups that in addition to um, other things is regularly doing this kind of Holy Spirit ministry. So in preparation for that, uh, I am planning this summer to lead what's called a turbo group, uh, which is a small group uh, of people who are interested in leading their own small group, uh, which I will lead. So it's kind of hard to ask you to do something that you haven't experienced yourself. And so as I prayed about it, I felt like the Lord said, you need to like, like, like get a bunch of people together who feel called to do this and then do it with them so that they can then do it with everyone else. So um, if that interests you, you can send, send me an email or message me on Facebook. I'm on there too. Um, or you can call the office um, and I would love to invite you to my turbo group. Um, I am a firm believer that the Holy Spirit is not constrained to move at the front of the uh, church after service. Uh, he can move in your small group. He can move in your workplace. He can work, move in the community. He can move anywhere else. We want to be a church that is open to pray in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit wherever the Spirit leads. All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the great healer. Thank you that you've commissioned us to pray for healing as well. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would anoint and empower each person here to pray in the power of the Holy Spirit and that we would see healings all over the place. We pray against the powers of darkness and the schemes of the enemy and all his attempts to steal, kill, and destroy us and our loved ones. Come, Holy Spirit. Come in might, come in power. May you ignite a fire, a revival in this church that ripples throughout Fergus Falls and beyond. We pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.